So, Lord God, we thank you that uh, you choose to be born in lowly mangers, humble mangers, because, uh, Lord, I think so much of the time I feel pretty lowly. I pray that you would help us not to despise those lowly places, but to look for you in those lowly places. And I pray that, Lord God, you would be born, that your life would be evident in us this morning, that you would speak your word into us, uh, just as Jesus, your word, was placed in that lowly manger. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Hey, uh, it's great to see you. Did some of you get stuck on Sixth Avenue? It was close? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here. How many of you um, lived during the 60s? Okay, because the, the rest of you will be confused by this first story, probably. But uh, I, I was deeply affected by a story that I heard along about 1969. Um, growing up in the 60s, somebody actually came to our church, uh, First Presbyterian Church in Littleton, Colorado, and read this story and then preached a sermon based on this story. The story is titled, A Warm Fuzzy Tale. Don't know if you know it. It's about this land where everyone was happy because everyone had a bag of warm fuzzies. And whenever you wanted a warm fuzzy, you just asked for one, and the people would give it to you. And when you get the warm fuzzy, you would feel warm and fuzzy all over. Well, a witch comes to this happy land and hates warm fuzzies. She tells the people that the warm fuzzies may run out, and she gives them cold pricklies. And so people start giving each other cold pricklies. Warm fuzzies are like affirmations. Cold pricklies are criticisms. The story continues like this. Not long ago, a young woman with big hips, and remember this is the, the 60s, a young woman with big hips came to this unhappy land. She's a hippie. She seemed not to have heard about the bad witch and was not worried about running out of warm fuzzies. She gave them out freely, even when not asked. They called her the hip woman and disapproved of her because she was giving the children the idea that they should not worry about running out of warm fuzzies. The children liked her very much because they felt good around her, and they began to follow her example, giving out warm fuzzies wherever and whenever they, they felt like it. I remember the guy preaching at church actually had a bunch of these uh, warm fuzzies. And so for months at church, people were walking around doing the warm fuzzy thing, saying stuff like, I need a warm fuzzy, I a warm fuzzy, or, or gosh, that was, that was kind of a cold prickly you just gave me there, Vance. I, I figured that Jesus was like the big-hipped woman, and it makes sense that the gospel of relentless, boundless grace would be like a bottomless bag of warm fuzzies. People often assume that's what I'm preaching. Well, the story ends like this. The struggle spread all over the land and is probably going on right where you live. If you want to, and I hope you do, you can join by freely giving and asking for warm fuzzies and being as loving and healthy as you can. So in 1969 at First Presbyterian Church, uh, everyone was into warm fuzzies and I loved it. I just loved it at first. But then, it started feeling kind of oppressive. I mean, I needed my warm fuzzies. I'd manipulate people to, to get warm fuzzies. And other people, they would manipulate me, patronize me to get warm fuzzies. We became addicted to warm fuzzies. Maybe all addictions start out warm and fuzzy. I was addicted 
oppressed and then insecure because well, it was evident that the warm fuzzies were dependent upon people like me. And I wondered if warm fuzzies were just warm fuzzy lies. I wondered if warm fuzzies were the solution. Well, you know, God is love and Jesus makes him known. So it's easy to think that Jesus is just like the big hip woman handing out warm fuzzies wherever he goes. Yet, yet even if God is the ultimate warm fuzzy and will never run out of warm fuzzy, fuzzies, God's word, Jesus, doesn't always feel warm and fuzzy. Matthew 15, verse 21. And Jesus went away from there, that is Israel, and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away. She's crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only, only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt, proskuneo is, is the Greek verb, means to worship, to kneel and like kiss his feet. She, she knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Does Jesus ever seem mean to you? I mean, that's not exactly warm and fuzzy. That is downright cold and prickly. This desperate woman follows Jesus around, literally screaming, have mercy on me, and Jesus doesn't answer her a word. Do you ever feel like that? Like you're really in need, everybody else hears from God, and you cry out to God, you cry out to God, and he doesn't answer you a word? This appears to have gone on for quite a while, too. For the disciples, they finally come to Jesus and they beg Jesus, would you get rid of her? And Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she falls at his feet. She falls at his feet, worshiping, crying, help me, help me. And Jesus says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Wow! And you gotta understand that dogs, I mean, it, it had a different meaning in that culture. In scripture, dog, with possibly one small exception, dog is always a very negative term. I mean, dogs were usually scavengers around the edge of town. Gentiles, and particularly Canaanites, were called dogs. The Canaanites, remember, were the people that Israel was to drive out of the promised land, or in certain cases, devote to destruction as offerings to God. They were unclean. The Canaanites were pagans. And this woman's daughter was severely demonized. The demon had probably gotten its power, and I know this is weird for some if you've never witnessed it, but the demon had probably got its power through some pagan ritual. So the mother, mother and daughter, they may have been culpable in this, but we don't know, and maybe it doesn't matter. For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that's really kind of the, the hardest part, because we all feel guilty, and we're not even sure exactly why, but maybe it doesn't matter. In desperation, she cries out to Jesus, help me, help me, and Jesus says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Well, who are the dogs? And who are the children? Well, Jesus had just left the children. And surely Jesus wouldn't be so grumpy with the children, right? 
In the verses immediately preceding these verses, Jesus is in Galilee in the land of Israel with the children of Israel. Matthew 15, 10, this is right before what we just read. And he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know, Jesus, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Pharisee means the separate. For God had called the children of Israel to be separate and to separate the clean from the unclean. And so he'd given them detailed instructions about clean food and unclean food. The Pharisees were those that worked extremely hard to make themselves clean and thus earn the warm fuzzies of God, the affirmations of God, the love of God. And Jesus comes along and says, it won't work. And they were offended. I love this. The disciples come to Jesus and say, did you know that you, you offended? You offended the Pharisees. And Jesus says, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, they're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said to him, well, explain that to us. Explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still without understanding, Peter? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Literally, expelled into the latrine. That's what the Greek verb means. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Thoughts of murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, that doesn't defile anyone. And so Jesus makes it clear. Your good works are crap. That's cold and prickly. You eat clean things and literally turn them into crap that you crap into the crapper. The thing that defiles you is already in you. You won't admit it, even though you constantly excrete sin. Your good deeds are shit. You offended? Because <laughs> you know from a Philippians, that's a kind of a biblical word. Philippians 3. Sorry if you're offended. The Pharisees were deeply offended. Next verse. Next verse. Jesus went away from there, Israel, and traveled to the region of Tyre and Sidon. You have to wonder, why is Jesus going to Tyre and Sidon? Because in Matthew 10, he said to his disciples, I'm telling you, go, go nowhere among uh, the, the, the Gentiles. Go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Next verse, verse 22. And look, a Canaanite woman. So Jesus gives cold pricklies to the children of Israel, and then to this desperate Canaanite woman, he says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the little bitches. <laughs> Are you offended? I'm sorry if you're offended, but I'm not called to, to really preach warm fuzzies. I'm called to preach the gospel. And in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus the word, uses the word canarion. It means Little female dogs. My sister's a dog breeder. I know what this means. And, and it really meant that in that day. B bitches. Are you offended? The Pharisees were offended. They were offended at Jesus. St. Paul, who had been a Pharisee, taught that Jesus was the offense of the world. <laughs> Loosely translated the cold prickly of the world. The Pharisees were offended 
You know, Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended at me. The Pharisees were offended. And this woman appears to be not offended. Verse 26, he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Does this woman have any self-respect? Does she have any human dignity? Does she have any pride? Well, evidently not. For without pride, you become impossible to offend. Rick Joyner claims that he heard the Lord say to him, the humble cannot be embarrassed. This Canaanite woman is humble. Humility is not shame. Shame wants to hide. Humility has nothing to hide. Humility does not mean hating yourself, but something more like losing yourself. She's worshiping Jesus, not her ability to worship Jesus. She worships Jesus and not herself. In fact, she's very unsure of herself. And yet, she's very sure of Jesus' self. See, it didn't matter who she was. It mattered who Jesus is. She was humble. And there are benefits to being humble. For one, you can't be offended. For there's nothing to offend. Secondly, if you can't be offended or embarrassed, you're not easily slandered or extorted. You know, the devil means slanderer or accuser. So if you're humble, the devil has lost his game. The devil says, you failed, you're inadequate, you've, you've sinned, now you better cover your shame and hide from the truth. And the humble say, hide from the truth? Why hide from the truth? That is the truth. I have sinned, I am inadequate, I have failed, and so I need help. <laughs> I need a helper, a savior. And you know, Jesus really didn't accuse this woman. I'm sure Satan had already accused this woman and probably was accusing this woman. Jesus simply pointed out that the children's bread shouldn't be thrown to dogs. She must have thought, well, gosh, I don't know. Maybe I am a dog. But so what? The master is kind to dogs. If you're humble, you really can't be embarrassed, offended, slandered, and extorted. Which means I'm, I'm probably not all that humble. <laughs> but if you're humble, it means you can't be offended, slandered, extorted, and you can see the truth. You know, proud people won't allow themselves to see the truth, and, and their world becomes too small for things like beauty and, and wonder. If a man would make his world large, he must be always making himself small, writes G.K. Chesterton. Even the haughty visions, he continues, the tall cities and the toppling pinnacles are the creations of humility. Giants that tread down forests like grass are the creations of humility. Towers that vanish upwards above the loneliest stars are the creations of humility. For towers are not ta tall, towers are not tall unless we look up at them. And giants are not giant unless they are larger than we. And you see, God 
is giant. And so apart from humility, no one will see God. To truly see God is to worship God, and proud people can't worship. Chesterton adds, without humility, it's impossible to enjoy anything. And I would add, especially grace. And God is grace. Without humility, grace must, well, it burns pride, and so heaven must feel like hell. Not warm and fuzzy, but hot and scorchy, or maybe super cold and really prickly. So how do you get humble? Hang on a second, Santino. But that's a good question, right? How, how do you get humble? Because if you humble yourself with yourself, you end up being proud of your humility, right? And that's the worst kind of humility, proud humility. You can't lose yourself with yourself. You try to lose yourself with yourself and you just keep remembering yourself. And if you hate yourself with yourself, it's just more self. In fact, you're stuck in yourself, alone and trapped in yourself. You know, it's pride that makes the self want to kill the self. James 4.10, 1 Peter 5.6 says, does say humble yourselves, but more accurately, aorist passive imperative, let yourself be humbled before the Lord. Let yourself be humbled under the mighty hand of God. You see, we can't humble ourselves with ourselves. And so humility must come through humiliations. And at first, I imagine they feel rather cold and prickly. We learn humility through accepting humiliations cheerfully, writes Mother Teresa. Don't let the chance pass you by. It's so easy to be proud, harsh, moody, and selfish. But we have been created for better things. Someone said, you'll know if you're a servant by how you act when you're treated like one. <laughs> it's a great line. And so I suspect you'll know if you're humble by how you act when you're humiliated. Are you offended? Or are you grateful, like Mother Teresa? You say, well, you want to die, Chris? You want to die to yourself? Then why do you spend so much time defending yourself? You say you're a sinner, dead in your trespasses and sins, like St. Paul said. And you know, in 1 Corinthians, he wrote this. We are the scum of the earth, the offscouring of all things. And so would it bother you if someone came along and agreed with the Bible about you and said, well, you're scum. You're unspeakable slime. You know, Scripture says that Jesus humbled himself, which is weird. Because I don't think Jesus was ever proud. Except, of course, when he bore your sin, which is to bear your pride, and there he, he humbled himself. Or maybe he humbled us. I mean, he helped us to be humble. Philippians 2.8. Being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And Paul writes, have this mind... This is supposed to be your mind. Have this mind among yourselves. Well, a cross, you know, is designed to humiliate. And you really can't crucify. You can pick up a cross, but you really can't crucify your, yourself. Someone else has to pound the nails. It's something that's done to you. A cross is designed to humiliate, and the nails are cold, and they're designed to be extremely prickly. 
One of the most moving things that I've ever read from one of my very favorite authors, Brennan Manning, comes from the ragamuffin gospel. You know, Manning struggled with alcoholism his, his whole life, but he writes about a group therapy session in 1975 at a rehab center that forever changed his view of God and, and grace. A nominal Christian named Max sat in the middle of this circle of men at the rehab center. The counselor asked Max, how long, Max, how long have you been drinking like a pig? And, and Max went, well, that's quite unfair, wouldn't you say? The counselor grilled Max. Max obfuscated, he evaded, the counselor called him a liar. Max minimized, justified, rationalized for, for 20 minutes. It went on for 20 minutes. The counselor finally called an old bartender and exposed the lies. Max leapt from his seat defending his integrity. Max was very proud. Finally, the counselor said, Max, have you ever been unkind to one of your kids? Max said, um, well, maybe there was one incident, but I don't remember it very well. It's, it's very fuzzy. And at that, the counselor called Max's wife on a phone that was placed in the middle of the room. Her soft voice soon filled the room by means of the speaker connected to the phone, and the counselor asked her that question. It was Christmas Eve, she said. Max bought Debbie, our daughter, a pair of shoes. He had driven downtown and he bought her a pair of shoes. And when they got back in the truck, she kissed him and she said, Daddy, you're the best daddy in the whole world. Max was preening himself. And so on the way home, he stopped at the tavern to celebrate with his friends. And he told Debbie to wait there for him in the truck, that he'd be right out. He locked the door so that no one could get into the truck. It was three in the afternoon. Max came out drunk at midnight. Debbie was severely frostbitten in the ears and her fingers. They, they had to amputate fingers, and Debbie will be deaf for the rest of her life. At that, Max appeared as if he were having a coronary. He began to shake. He, he jumped up from the chair. He wobbled. He fell on the ground on all fours, and he just began to sob. The counselor said to everybody, let's split. And 24 recovering alcoholics, they got up, and they began to walk out on Max. Manning turned around, and he saw this. The counselor walked over to Max, put his foot on his ribcage, and said, you unspeakable slime, and pushed him over. No, I'm not saying that you should say that. I'm saying the counselor said that. The first step of the 12 steps of AA is to admit that you're powerless over alcohol. And I suppose that that discovery can be rather humiliating. And the first step of salvation, or maybe this is salvation, is to admit that you need to be saved. Why? Because you are powerless over sin. And I suppose that discovery can be rather humiliating. So you see, each one of us is Max. Like Bob Hudson said last week, we were made for love. And we all desire love. 
And so, of course, every sin, every addiction is an effort to take the life of love and possess love. So we become addicted to signs of love and pieces of love, addicted to things because we long for the new creation, addicted to wine because we long for communion, addicted to sex because we long to be known, addicted to approval and warm fuzzies because we long for love, addicted to religion because we long for God. And so we try to take God and so crucify God and kill God. We try to take love and we crucify love. We try to take the good as if it was like fruit hanging on some tree. And now listen very closely. Love that's dependent on me. Love that's conditioned by me. A love that I can take, a love that I can own. It, it always becomes my addiction and I kill love. But love that's not dependent on me, love that is entirely unconditioned by me, love that is entirely unconditional is God. Addicted to conditional love, I can't experience unconditional love. Addicted to taking love, I sacrifice love. So God, who is love, must kill that prideful, arrogant old me, addicted to me if I'm ever to know him. And he is so much more than just a particular warm fuzzy. That's why the greatest gift that can be given to a mortal man is the gift of being humiliated in the presence of love. I believe the Bible calls it judgment. It's there that truth sets us free from the prison of self and that his kindness leads us to repentance. Grace does not enable sin. Grace annihilates sin, destroys the work of the devil, and sets the prisoners free. Well, later that day, Max begged to stay in treatment. He, he begged. Manning writes that it was the most striking personality change that he has ever seen. The night before Max finished the treatment, he looked up from a book and said to a friend with tears in his eyes, he said, I just prayed to God for the first time in my life. He was beginning to see God. And I believe that Jesus had been there the whole time helping him to see God. God. Maybe Jesus isn't mean. Maybe Jesus is always kind. So Jesus looks down at this Canaanite woman kneeling at his feet, crying, help me, help me, help me. He hadn't accused her of anything. However, he certainly allowed her to be humiliated, to be born a Canaanite, uh, to watch her daughter suffer, to experience his silence, to feel the pain of rejection. She kneels now at his feet, crying, save me, help me, save me, and he speaks. He says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, and she says, says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. <laughs> Do you realize what just happened? Do you even begin to realize what was just, just revealed in that sentence? 
Jesus said he was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but he must have been sent to her, right? Because he only does what his father is, is doing. He was sent to her, and so she must be what? One of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She's a child of God. And he not only gives her bread, he gives her himself, and he is the bread of life. And he gives her the greatest compliment in all the gospels, oh woman, mega, mega faith, you got mega faith. Great is your faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hebrews chapter 11, one, the substance. Uh, the substance of things hoped for, Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. Wrote Paul in Ephesians, Christ was born in her heart. Even as he had been born and placed in a humble manger. And then Jesus said this, be it done for you as you will. Theo, be, be, or, or Thelo. Be it done for you as you desire. Be it done for you as you will. Do you understand? She now has a free will. In other words, what she wills happens. Creation bends to her will. What she wills happens, for she wills the good in the image of God. Jesus said, whoever, whoever, whoever humbles himself, submitting to humiliations, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. She is now no dog, writes Martin Luther, but even a child of Israel. Genesis 12, God tells Abraham that he's gonna bless him to be a blessing, for in him will all the, fam all the families of the earth be blessed. So Israel was blessed to be a blessing to Canaanites. Leviticus 19, it, God even says that they're commanded to treat the foreigner living in their land as a native and love the foreigner as they love themselves. I mean, that's some crazy immigration reform, don't you think? Romans 11, Paul writes that the Gentiles would be grafted in to the family tree. Israel was blessed to be a blessing, and Jesus, get this, Jesus is the promised blessing. The priests, the scribes, the Pharisees of Israel exalted themselves and thought they deserved the blessing and so should control the blessing, and so they were really offended by the blessing. So in the name of their pride, or in their pride, they ended up crucifying the blessing and losing the blessing. Like branches cut off from the family tree. You know, Jesus is the root of that tree. Whoever exalts himself, check this out, listen closely, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so you see that this Canaanite woman actually was a lost sheep of the house of Israel. And if she was a lost sheep, that means she belonged to Israel the whole time, she just didn't know it. She was a lost sheep of the house of Israel. So when Jesus uh, left the, the Pharisees in Israel, well, and just think about that. I mean, if, she's a, if you thought of everybody as a lost sheep, I remember preaching one time in Mozambique, and I was struggling, and I remember thinking of Becky, my daughter, out there in the crowd, and then I started to preach. I mean, what if you thought of everybody as a lost member of your, of your family? She's a lost sheep of the house of Israel. So when Jesus left the Pharisees in Israel, right? That's what we read. When he left the Pharisees in Israel and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, what was he doing? Well, he was leaving the 99 in the wilderness and going to find the one that was lost. And check this out, the 99 really are in the wilderness. Why? Because they're proud. 
and therefore offended, and therefore have now rejected the blessing. To, see, to, to think that you deserve heaven is to cast yourself into hell. For you see, heaven isn't simply golden streets. I mean, you can have all the gold you want and still be miserable as hell, right? It's not simply sex or just wine. Heaven is communion with God, and God is love. So, so you're surrounded by heaven. Heaven really is at hand, like Jesus says, but you can't experience heaven if you think you deserve heaven, for that means you think you deserve God, which means you think you deserve love, which means you think you deserve grace, which means you can't even comprehend grace. And God is grace. So get this. The Pharisees, all right? The Pharisees try to take the life of love. In fact, that's what they do with all their law and all their works. I did this, I did this, I did this, so you gotta give me that. They try to take the life of love. Eventually, they do take the life of love on a tree in a garden at a place called Calvary. The Pharisees take the life of love, crucify love, and can't know love. They're lost, who are they? They are the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And yet they too still belong to Israel. I mean, think about it. You can't be found unless you're lost. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. The branches uh, can be grafted back in again, writes Paul, and so all Israel will be saved, he writes. But, but as long as, as long as, as long as Pharisees think they deserve love, they can't receive love and therefore cannot know love. This Canaanite woman knows that she does not deserve love. And therefore, she can receive love. Therefore, she can know love. Why? Because she is known by love. Actually, she's like impregnated with the life of love, as if the life of love, Jesus himself were her bridegroom, and she was bound to him in a covenant. She doesn't hide her shame, in other words, in fig leaves and, and fear. She doesn't hide her need in arrogance and pride. She cries, help me, help me, and Jesus is her helpmeet, her helper, her husband. He meets her in her place of shame and there he fills her with grace and she has faith and receives all that she desires Jesus and all things with him see I'm just saying maybe it's not so bad to be humiliated perhaps you were humiliated maybe by the sins of another Maybe by your own sins. But we all deserve to be humiliated. Why? Because none of us deserves to be proud. For none of us created ourselves. If you're convinced that you created yourself, well, you cannot see your creator. You cannot enter the kingdom. You cannot discover who, in fact, you truly and eternally are. The image of God, created by grace, to love and be loved, always in freedom. And so you see, really, this Canaanite woman was not a dog. She is, she is, and always is, the bride of Christ and child of God. <laughs> but maybe kind of, sort of, she is sort of also a dog. Like I said, the term dog is always negative in Scripture with one exception, and perhaps right here in this place. You, you, 
You may remember that Moses and that first generation of Israelites, remember this, they were not allowed to enter the promised land because they didn't trust in the power of God's grace. None were allowed to enter except two. Do you remember who the two were? Joshua and Caleb, right? Okay, so Joshua is basically just the Hebrew word for Jesus. So that makes sense, right? Where Moses couldn't get us, Jesus is gonna take us into the promised land. But I was wondering, well, who the heck is Caleb? Why, why this guy Caleb? So remember, years ago I looked up the name Caleb to see what it meant, and you know what Caleb means? It's the Hebrew word for dog. Caleb and Caleb, they're the Hebrew words, and, and when you write it out at the time, they're the exact same word. And so get this, the only Israelites that make it through the wilderness and into the kingdom of God are Jesus and his dog. Isn't that cool? <laughs> so maybe it's not so bad to be called a dog. And then I was reading in National Geographic last year, this article on dogs, and it turns out that all dogs are, are domesticated wolves. In other words, a dog is a wolf that's learned to live by grace. The grace of its master, the master's grace. And that doesn't mean that dogs are lazy. I mean, they'll work like crazy, they'll die for their master. It means that they are exceptionally loyal to their master. In other words, they seem to love unconditionally. And you know, our master is unconditional love. This was our family dog. <laughs> that's Roxanne. I was more grumpy to her than anybody else in our family. And she loved me the best. I was not a dog person when we got dog Roxanne, but she turned me into a dog person. She waited to die till I put my hand on her side and then she breathed her last. Like our friend Wendy Francisco points out in one of her songs, dog is God spelled backwards. And maybe that's not an accident, for they both love no matter what. That's called unconditional love. I read a story about a man and his dog that were going for a walk when the man realized he was dead. And then he realized his, his dog was dead. After a while, they came to this high white stone wall along the side of the road, and then this magnificent gate in the, in, in the wall appeared, and the gate looked like it was made of pearl, and the road leading up to the gate was made of gold, and there was a man uh, standing at a, at a booth beside uh, the gate, and so he, he asked him, what is this? And the man said, this is heaven, sir. And the guy said, wow. Hey, do you think we could have some water? And the man said, sure, um, come on in and I'll have some bring uh, some ice water up to you. And immediately the huge doors began to open. The man began to walk in, but then he stopped and he, and he looked down at his dog and he said, um, can, can my friend come too? And the man at the gate said, I'm sorry, sir, but we do not allow dogs. And the man, he thought for a minute, he turned around and went back along the way with his dog. After another long walk, he came to a dirt road leading through a farm gate that looked as if it had always uh, been open, had never been closed. As he, he approached the gate, he saw this man hanging in a line against, in, against a tree, and he said, excuse me, um, do you have any water? And he said, yeah, sure, there's, there's a pump uh, right over there. How about my friend here, the traveler asked. And he said, well, yeah, there's a bowl right there under the, under the pump. And so the traveler and his dog went over to the pump. The man took a big drink, and then he filled up the bowl and gave some to his dog. When they were done, he turned and went back over to the man by the tree. And, and he said, what do you call? What do you call this place? And the man said, this is heaven. 
And the traveler stood there for a minute and said, well, that's confusing because that place down the road, well, that's called heaven, heaven too. And the man said, no, no, that's not heaven. That's hell. And the traveler said, well, doesn't that bother you that they'd be using your, your name like that? And the man said, no, it doesn't bother us. We're just happy that they screen out the folks who would leave their best friend behind. Now, that's a silly story. And it's not true. <laughs> but maybe in a way, it is true. Because heaven is literally constructed of unconditional love. And maybe in a way it is true because our master will not leave his friends behind. He was called the friend of sinners. And if you remember, he even called Judas friend. And so I think he even descends into hell for his friends. And who are they? They are the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He even said, many will come in that day and sit with Abraham at the table of the Lord, and the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. But you see, they're still his friends. He said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You see, I think that statement is true. And if you do the math, I think it means this, that after all have been humbled, all will be exalted, and all will see God, unconditionally, limitless, relentless love, all will have faith in grace. Verse 26, she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you will. So the master sat at his table. He took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this is the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. This will humble you and exalt you. Let's pray. I want you to think of your humiliation. Think of a time that you were humiliated. Do you have it? Do you realize that Jesus was there? He was with you in your humiliation. Now listen very closely. They may have intended it for evil, but your Father in heaven intended it for good. So can you say this to God? I want you to say this silently in your heart after me. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, I surrender my humiliation.
So see, now you're no longer ashamed of it. It's his, right? I surrender my humiliation. And now, by the, by the power of the Spirit, say, Lord God, I thank you for my humiliation. For through the humiliation, you gave me the gift of humility and yourself. For you are the one that's born in a humble manger. And so I thank you, Lord God, that you make all things work together for my good. And so with just like a mustard seed of faith, because I struggle to really mean this, I just want to pray publicly and say thank you for the humiliation of, or arranging for the humiliation of Peter Hyatt. Thank you, Lord God, for showing me that I'm not my own creator so I can see the creator. Thank you for showing me that I'm not my own savior so that I can meet my savior. Thank you, Lord God, for freeing me from the prison of my own arrogance and pride and self-centeredness. Thank you, Lord God, that you have done it, and now you're asking me to walk in it. Thank you, Lord God, that it is finished. Help us, Lord Jesus, to believe that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, by way of benediction, sit down and watch this. I look up and I see God. I look down and see my dog. Simple spelling, G-O-D. Same word backwards, D-O-G. They would stay with me all day I'm the one who walks away But both of them just wait for me And dance in my return with glee Both love me no matter what Divine God and canine mutt Take it hard each time I fail, but God forgives, dog wags his tail. God thought up and made the dog, dog reflects a part of God. I've seen love from both sides now, it's everywhere, amen. I look up and I see God I look down and see my dog And in my human frailty I can't match their love for me And so... Uh... So by way of benediction, the next time someone calls you a dog, and you know there are nasty words for that, for a female dog particularly, um, then the next time someone uh, calls you a dog, in the name of Jesus and through the power of the gospel, may you say, thank you. 
all right? Believe the gospel. Amen. And we'll see you. We'll see you next week. If you'd like prayer, members of the prayer team are down front here. They'd love to pray for you. If you're new, we'd love you to go back to the Connect Center, get a, a DVD that we have for you and any information uh, about the church.